0: Welcome to Business Line's State of the Economy podcast, where you'll find insight, analysis, and the story behind the numbers. Hello and welcome to a brand new edition of the Current Account podcast. Today we are here to talk about something that is rocking the world of finance. Yes, we are on inflation. Well, I'm joined by one of the most experienced economists we have today in our country, Mr Rahul Bajoria who is the Managing Director and Senior Regional Economist Asia-Pacific at Barclays. Rahul is here to sort of decode to us what really is this 2-4% to tolerance ban plus or minus 2% on inflation really means, whether it really does hold good in the times that we are in today given that even globally inflation is no longer a benign thing at all. Is it time for us to relook at it? Are corporates ready for a sustained phase of 6.5% repo or should we see a rate cut any time soon? Rahul is here to decode all of that and more for us. Thank you so much Rahul for taking your time out and joining us on this edition of the podcast. There's, There's been a lot of stress around inflation from the RBI in the last I think six policies throughout. We're seeing it somewhere touch a slightly acceptable level lately. Uh, but my larger question to you is: We've been working with this tolerance band of two to four percent inflation. We've set it as as a target for ourselves, and we've been following it as a target for the last ten years almost, ever since MPC came into place. But things were very different back then versus today. Do you see us? Any reasons to really stick to this two four percent limit? Of course, there's a plus or minus two percent calibration to it. But does this number hold good now, or should we revisit the way we're looking at inflation?
1: Thanks, Anshuvi. Uh, so, so I think you have to really think about why we adopted this framework in first place, right? I mean, uh, between 2009 and 2013, right, so during the taper tantrum period, uh, inflation in India was significantly elevated and it proved to be significantly sticky, both Mm -hmm. food inflation, core inflation Mm -hmm. and despite uh, monetary policy uh, was you know tightened quite significantly, it took a lot of economic damage to bring inflation down. The entire inflation targeting framework, right, the flexible inflation targeting framework was adopted with that background where managing inflation and bringing it to more sustainable levels was kind of the uh, recent debt trip of monetary policy and the rbi itself. Now, one could see that, you know, post 2014, especially when oil prices globally fell, there was a lot of room that got built uh, on inflation management. At that, that particular point, the government chose not to pass on all the benefits, they reduced subsidies. And what it fundamentally did, by instead of having a subsidy-based uh, pricing approach, rather than having a taxation-based pricing approach, where we were mm. fundamentally increasing oil prices over and beyond what the implied retail prices would be, it led to a change in the entire management of inflation. From you know one where your know, latent inflation bias is upwards, rather to one where latent inflation bias was downwards, because the government could then reduce prices or, you know, reduce taxes in order to manage higher oil prices. Mm -hmm. Now, in that entire framework, the coordination between the fiscal side and the monetary side increased. It actually intensified and fiscal policy became uh, almost a counter cyclical tool for inflation management rather than being a pro cyclical tool as it used to be pre-2014. Now, the reason I'm giving you this background is because inflation targeting in India by and large is worked if you look at the policy orientation and where inflation levels were when we started this policy and where they are right now uh, both in terms of the actual outcomes and in terms of expectations we have seen a significant anchoring of inflation expect you know overall inflation environment in the country but what is up for debate and you know this has been a live academic debate is whether it is because of the targeting framework itself yes. yes. or you have it because mm-hmm. of you know other reasons i mm-hmm. think
0: mm-hmm.
1: the rbi in in its current framework has decided that mm-hmm. it had a very positive impact right now it's hard to decipher whether there was causation or there was correlation but certainly mm-hmm. uh, as a framework it has worked in terms of anchoring inflation expectations And I think, you know, obviously the target got renewed uh, Mm -hmm. in 2022. And I think what has happened also is that through the last four, five years, as we have gone through these material supply shocks, you know, first during COVID, then then during the war, then, you know, during the supply chain issues, uh, it has led to an environment where, you know, the fact that RBI does prioritize 4% inflation. Whether it hits 4% inflation or not, that's a separate Mm. issue. Mm. But the fact that they are saying we are keen to get to that point, I think, does have an impact in the way economic agents like households, corporates, banks form expectations, right? And I think from that perspective, the framework is still useful. Now, whether it should be at 4%, it should be at 5%, that is more of an academic debate, you know, which we can talk more Mm. about.
0: Perfect. Perfect. And I'll possibly touch upon the debate as well here. At the time when 4% was brought in. We were also living in a zero cost of funds economy. India was at its lowest in terms of cost of funds. Today we are at 6.5 repo. The US is at 4.25. We don't know whether the rate cycle in the US has halted for the good or not yet. We keep getting mixed reactions. So with the base moving up, is it not fair? Is it not somewhere correct to think that, you know, the number should also move up a little because uh, the whole inflation basket is getting reset upwards.
1: So it's a question of, you know, are we looking at the equilibrium neutral rates uh, in real terms or in nominal terms, yes. right? So if your nominal rates have gone up globally, then India also has seen actually higher average inflation in the last, say, 3-4 mm. years versus mm. what it was in the previous 3-4 years prior to the pandemic. So there is actually reason to expect India's neutral rates in nominal terms to also rise simply because average inflation outcomes have been higher. Our deviation from what we were running as average has not increased that much, like right? the deviations have been smaller, but the average outcomes are still higher, right? So like the rest of the world, we too have experienced higher inflation. Yes. But what has happened simultaneously is that because You are not necessarily seeing signs of overheating, right? Whether that is manifesting itself with higher inflation or a wider current account deficit or a larger fiscal deficit or you know a weaker currency. None of these factors have to a broad extent played out. So then the need to run high real rates, right? Which is where if you kinda think about the pre-inflation targeting framework. We peaked out at repo rates around 9% on nominal terms. Right. Even then, the real rates were only about a percent, percent and a half. Right now, you know, if we take average inflation of say four and a half percent for next year, ex mm. ante real rates are actually higher now than what they were in the previous regime. Mm. Now you could argue that okay, there is room to modulate, and that's a call that the RBI will take in the next you know few few FPC meetings. But RBI itself has done a lot of academic work on this showing that the equilibrium real rates have come down from around 1.52 percentage points say a decade ago when we were coming out of the taper tantrum Mm. Mm. to about 0.9% is what their new equilibrium uh, real rates uh, is and and that I think does require you know signs of uh, economy kind of being close to trend you would expect real rates to be somewhere in the vicinity of 1 percentage points. Uh, which is where the ex ante rates could trend if RBI does end up cutting rates a little bit as we expected to. So, I think to a large extent this entire framework does depend on both where the average inflation is globally, uh, but our real rates have actually compressed at the margin, so in a way that is already getting reflected in this idea that if the world is running high inflation and our inflation has not gone up by that much, our real rates at the margin can be a bit lower and that's precisely what has happened at least as far as uh, the research from RBI is concerned.
0: You spoke about possibility of cutting rates. Now most of the large banks that we speak to expect a rate cut in July. But from the commentary that's coming from RBI, it seems that they are very clear to withdraw the accommodative stance. Which means that you can't set very notional expectations like what is happening today. Do you believe that some of the larger financing institutions and even consumers of finance can continue handling at that 6.5% rate for longer? I know we have a deleverage balance sheet today versus then, but for the next cycle of capex to get triggered from private people, would a rate cut become very imperative?
1: So, on the capex point itself, I don't think a 50 or 100 basis point rate cut or rate hike in- really fundamentally alter the CapEx decisions because, you know, they are decided more on a 5 or 10 year outlook basis. Mm-hmm. So I, I would deal what is happening from CapEx cycle to, you know, like it's not a cost of capitalism. Okay. That's, that's the first point. As far as the balance sheets and, you know, their ability to kind of handle 6.5% rates, I think it's there because precisely mm-hmm. to what you said that, you know, there's been deleveraging, cost of funding has not increased that much in India relative to the rest of the world. So people have been used to paying six and a half, seven 7 percent repo
0: mm-hmm. for an
1: extended period of time. Mm-hmm. And I don't think mm-hmm. that behavioral change has, you know, been so dramatic during the pandemic when say repo rates were significantly lower. I don't think it will fundamentally alter the consumption profile. Now coming to the point around why we expect rates to come down, I think it goes back to what I said about the real rate cycle itself, Mm -hmm. that if you are at close to about say 6.5% repo rates, let's assume it stays there for the next one year. Given RBI's inflation profile and even our own inflation profile that we are expecting is similar to what RBI's inflation profile is, At some point in time real rates will increase from the current about 1% to closer to about 2.5 percentage points and it will stay close to 2 percentage points through most of this year. So, even though RBI is not increasing rates, the implicit increase in real rates is going to be visible because Mm. inflation would come down now assuming uh, holding rates where they are, uh, they can possibly try. and. you know, uh, sort of modulate the real rate. so we expect three rate cuts in the second half of the year. So starting Q2, three rate cuts cuts of 25 basis points each. So we would expect that by end of this calendar year, we would reach somewhere about 575 on the repo and this would imply a real rate of about 0.8, 0.9 percentage points, which is close to the equilibrium, right? So we are not expecting there to be a deep rate cut cycle, but it is more modulation of where real rates will be if RBI does not take any action. It will be significantly tight in terms of monetary conditions. So we expect RBI to prevent excessive tightening as well in the system and that will Mm -hmm. drive the rate cutting cycle, not necessarily what's happening in US or what's happening elsewhere.
0: Okay, let's park the global factors aside. In India, we're going to have central election. We're going to also have some of the states go into elections. And past has taught us that elections do tend to be a little high on inflation and does tend to have some rub off on overall inflation. Despite that, is this your thesis that, you know, we will see a stabilization in inflation and subsequently three rate cuts in FY25? Did I read it right? I
1: would say we would have been a lot more worried about that dynamic if, say, the fiscal deficit numbers were increasing Mm -hmm. in this year, or you know, you had a significant amount of handouts or you know, like populist schemes that would get announced. None of that has happened. Uh, If anything, you know, fiscal policy has been incrementally a bit more tighter than what the baseline view was Mm -hmm. for many of us, including us. And so, if anything, if fiscal policy is consolidating a little bit faster, it would actually provide space for monetary policy to then play a bit more supportive role on the growth side, right? Because the risk is that if you do have a bit of a bigger pullback in fiscal, and you know, election years also are very notorious for less spending on the capex side because you know, things slow down, the government uh, operationally becomes a bit more lethargic and so the risk will be that you actually see a bit more of a growth slowdown Mm. and that also is partly triangulated in our rate view that if the government is taking that extra step in fiscal consolidation, then it's RBI's role to step in and provide a bit more mitigating support on the growth front. So again, the baseline on growth as RBI upgraded their GDP uh, Uh forecast for the upcoming upcoming fiscal year, They are not expecting it, but we are slightly below RBI's forecast. I mean, I'm not saying there's a false precision in saying, you know, 6.5 or 7, but ultimately it is still slightly lower than what the current year's growth estimates are from RBI. They are still going from 7.3 to 7. Mm. If you end up with a slightly slower profile, especially on a spending side, I think that again opens up room for RBI to start modulating the extent of monetary tightening that has been achieved, right? And this monetary tightening will actually increase through the year, if they do not cut rates. So, so so that's the view we are taking that RBI will basically have to fine tune its monetary tightening in the system by cutting rates at the margin only to ensure that you don't have both fiscal and monetary policy depressing growth. Right, that's the situation we really want to avoid.
0: Perfect. Do you expect May 4, 2022 kind of a surprise in that case, even that, you know, it's we're running as a well oiled tight ship right now. No one thought that RBI is just going to bump up 45 pips uh, two years back. So I I
1: don't think uh, the level of global uncertainty is the same uh, because if you look at what happened, uh, I'm, I'm guessing you're talking about the repo rate increase, repo rate uh, increase. you know, the unscheduled repo rate increase. Will
0: it cut also be as dramatic as No, that? I don't
1: think so in the sense that, uh, you know, there are ways in which RBI can communicate this and, you know, the level of uncertainty on inflation because at that point, inflation uncertainty was more to the upside. Yes. There was risks that, you know, the current account deficit would widen significantly. It's much mm. more difficult for RBI to risk manage higher inflation or risk managed, say, losing control of the currency or risk manage, you know, having that sentiment on inflation getting eroded, because once it gets eroded, it takes a lot of hard work to bring it back. Sure. In the current environment, I would argue that the optionality, the policy optionality of the central bank has widened very dramatically because Mm. inflation is consistently surprising on the downside. We have another inflation print that comes out today. We'll see what happens. There is great control on the currency. Reserves are getting built up. So the policy optionality set has widened because Mm -hmm. you know you are able to kind of if if needed, if they feel that you know they are not ready to cut rates but they want to ensure that they don't over tighten they can always ease liquidity. liquidity. So the the degrees of freedom have increased for the central bank unlike what happened in 2022 when the extent of uncertainty was very high you know you were not sure what to do. Um, You know in terms of like if tomorrow oil suddenly spikes up to 140, 150 then your inflation gets unanchored your currency gets unanchored yes. that is not at all the current situation so rbi can actually choose when to communicate obviously they will they will they will look to communicate at the appropriate time right. but i think looking at their inflation forecast looking at their growth forecast they clearly are getting more and more confident that the visibility of macro uh, macros in india has actually improved in the last 12 months hence they can choose to time it Correctly, you know, whatever time they have in their mind.
0: Perfect. Let me just wrap it up with one thing. What a lot of economists also told me around the budget is, we have a very acute number on fiscal deficit right now and the government seems to have maintained it well. Should we also not wait to see what happens after the election? What if they decide to defer their spending post-election? Is that something that you would also want to watch out for?
1: So I think it depends on, you know, would I be worried about significant fiscal slippage in a matter of 2-3 months? No. no, not really. Would I worry about there being incrementally more upside to how much consolidation that can be done? I don't think, having already surprised on the positive side in terms of consolidation.
0: Uh, did that number surprise you?
1: I, I think it, it did surprise me in terms of the intent. Okay. Right. What surprised okay. me I guess was the fact that they were not overtly uh, worried about how much, you know, so, so I think it's it's kind of an open option, right? Say mm. if tomorrow there is, for whatever reason, there's a big commodity price spike globally. I think the government will support on the fiscal side, right? They will take the hit to ensure that inflation remains manageable because that's been the playbook in the last two years. The question is that are they being overtly ambitious on the revenue side? No. They are not. They are not. At the same time, I think the desire to build back fiscal space, you know, and kind of give room. Mm-hmm. So one of the reasons why I think this is being done is because they are seeing signs of private investment picking up. And the moment private investment picks up, you need to consolidate your fiscal deficit simply to provide that additional savings pool for yes. the private sector to use. If the private sector was not investing, then the government Definitely. should be invested. Right. I mean, that's been the kind of a counter cyclical fiscal management. That's been there. As an
0: economist at a bank, would you also sort of validate that private CAPEX is picking up? Do you see signs of So I
1: think up? there are imminent signs that it is picking up. It's just that if you have come out of a large deleveraging cycle, right? right it for takes any, time. any company, any corporate, mm-hmm. any sector, mm-hmm. any economy, mm-hmm. the scars of <laughs> undergoing that pain of deleveraging is yes. going to remain fairly fresh that's for a while. Absolutely. And I would argue that it's actually a good thing if we don't have a large pickup in capex, simply because you know then our macros will remain in check. What we don't want is you know eight percent growth one year, four percent growth next year, then six percent growth the next year. I would rather we do six, six and a half, seven percent growth on a consistent basis, mm. because it gives you reasonably good growth with macro stability. Absolutely. Right, and and that's been the most challenging aspect of growing with macro stability.
0: And corporates don't repeat the old mistakes, they make uh, new mistakes. Well,
1: I'm, I'm sure they will make new mistakes but you know, it's one where I would expect them not to make old mistakes. I think the question will be Uh, You know, are we seeing imminent signs of pickup? I think there are sectors where, you know, the capacity utilization has gone up to a point. Profitability is high. So it's a a very profit led investment cycle that, you know, where people can incrementally make more money by investing, they will do so, right? I mean, that's the private imperative to invest. But here I think, uh, you know, we are not going to see a 2004-05 like big, you know, announcements led corporate investment cycle simply because you know in several areas we have already invested right like. I mean, so you don't need to invest like if you if you take say mumbai we were talking about the city earlier we have built a trans harbour link across to the other side we are not going to start building another bridge build right yes. so, so so it's that kind of a thing that if you have done the basics or you're starting to do the basics well then the need to do something really fancy is not there immediately it I mean, might come in five years but you know that's a cycle uh, which is going to be extended in nature. So, I'm reasonably, you know, clearly seeing signs of a pickup in capex. We have had almost uh, 10% growth in GFCF in real terms in the last six quarters on average. So, mm. it's been a good outcome actually. If you look at the real GFCF as a percentage of GDP, it's at close to a six, six seven year high. Mm. So, mm. this notion that capex is not there is, mm. is a bit misplaced. It's just that it's not where it used to be at 40%, you know, where we peaked out close to in 2006 7. But that's probably a good thing if we don't have that kind of CapEx because that's not really sustainable with the level of savings we have in
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much. With that, we wrap this edition of the State of Economy podcast. We'll see you soon with another very interesting topic. Until then, it's your host, Hamsa Karthik signing off. Take care.